In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. Today is the fourth Sunday of Lent. We have uh, one more regular Sunday, if you will, of Lent, the fifth Sunday, and then the following Sunday will be Palm Sunday. So two more Sundays of Lent, uh, the fifth and then and then Palm Sunday. So we just have a little bit more time to spend in this process of self-examination. Self-examination. We are cleaning the mirror with which we look at our hearts and our minds, our actions, our lives, and the tools with which we clean that mirror so that we can properly see ourselves and properly repent and turn to the Lord are prayer, fasting, almsgiving, and the disciplined reading of God's Word. So these are the four tools that we've been given to clean that mirror so that we can do a proper self-examination and turn to the Lord in repentance. Repentance is exactly what uh, the Lord calls Samuel to do. Samuel had been doing one thing and the Lord says, turn and do something else, right? The Lord says to him, how long will you grieve? This is a call to repentance. He's saying, you've been doing this. It's time for you to turn and do this. That's repentance, right? You had been doing this. Now you're going to turn and do this. Samuel had been grieving, and when we grieve, we're always looking to the past. We're saying what should have happened, what, what could have happened, what would have happened. And it's a trap, right? It's a trap that we fall into, and it's a hole that we sink in, that keeps us from being able to act in our lives. And the Lord says, how long are you going to do that? Now, <coughs> Samuel had a particular kind of, of grief, because he didn't want Saul to be king in the first place. Right? If you remember, Samuel is a linchpin figure. He is the tie between uh, the time of the judges and the United Kingdom. You remember that after Joshua leads the people into the promised land, they're led by judges, uh, right? People um, uh, like, uh, like Deborah and, uh, and Samson. And, and so these are judges. And, and, and the time that, that the Lord... Uh, transitions to the kingdom is done by Samuel. He tells Samuel, go and anoint Saul as the first king of this united kingdom. And Samuel didn't want to do it, you know, because the Lord wanted them to live under his rule for him to be the king. And so Samuel is angry on behalf of the Lord, uh, but he goes and he does anyways what uh, the Lord calls him to do. He anoints Saul as king. And then Saul is a king who's not after the heart of the Lord. Uh, Saul is afraid of the people. He's afraid of the people that he's leading. And a leader can't do that, right? A good leader, especially one under the Lord, has to be afraid of the Lord, right? He has to be looking to the Lord and saying, what does the Lord want me to do, not what do my people want me to do? So Saul was looking to the people to figure out what he was supposed to do. And so the Lord removes him and he tells Samuel, go now and anoint a new king. So Samuel is taking it personally, if you will, right? This is what keeps us from being able to move forward when we take it personally. And so he's fallen into grief. The Lord says, get up and get your oil and go. So he's giving him work to do. This is how the Lord is responding to Samuel in his grief. He's telling him to do something. He's going to anoint this new king. And he goes to this wealthy man, Jesse, who is wealthy not only in land and flock and other things, but he's wealthy in sons. And so Samuel goes and he looks at his sons. And of course, the first song, son is tall and handsome and, and strong and a great leader among men. And so Samuel looks at him and says, this must be 
uh, the one that the Lord would choose. But the Lord says, I don't see the way you see. I don't see the way you see. We look at the outside, don't we? We look at the outside appearance. We look at how does a person look or how do they act. And, and we try to interpret their motives by how they act. We can't look into people's hearts. The Lord says, I look into the heart of the person. Now the heart in the ancient world, and really for Christian anthropology, is the place of decision making. It's the place of thoughts and feelings and all decision making. So there's no separation in Christian anthropology like there might be in in, in a contemporary psychology where uh, feelings are here and thoughts are here and they're somehow divided. In a Christian anthropology, they're all one. Our thoughts and our feelings, our motivations, uh, those things that lead to actions, it's all one part. It's our hearts guiding our feet, right? And so the Lord says, I look at the heart, I look to the motives, I look to the thoughts and feelings of the person. I know these things, and so I can look uh, into the heart. I can see that way. And so what's required of Samuel is to begin to see, not as a man sees, but as the Lord sees. He's waiting upon the Lord to see who it is that the Lord chooses. And of course, seven sons come past him. This is just a happenstance number, right? Seven, that's just a coincidence? No. Seven is a real number, right? It's an important number that we see over and over and over again in Scripture. (coughs) It's the number of completeness, right? So uh, he's looked at all the sons. He's looked at the complete uh, sons of, of Jesse, David is a true figure or a type or a foreshadowing for Christ, right? He is an example of who Christ is going to be. So when we see the life of David, we see many of the things that we're going to see in Christ. Here is one of those first things that we see. He's the eighth son. That eight is such an important number because it's the day on which Jesus resurrects from the dead. Remember, he resurrects on the eighth day. Right? It's not the first day of the week. It is the first day of the week, but it's also the eighth day of the week, this miraculous day. Right? So David is this miraculous son. And so uh, he comes forward and Samuel anoints him to be king. So Samuel is practicing how to see the way that the Lord sees. St. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians calls this discernment. Right? St. Paul uses some, some Greek philosophy, a little bit more philosophical language. He says that we need to discern the will of God, right? We need to discern the will of God. And so he says that the first way that we do this is by imitation. We're supposed to be imitators. This is not popular in the world, right? The world values people who do new things their way, right? I did it my way, right? We all love to hear uh, Frank Sinatra and whoever else sings this song, I did it my way, right? This is not the way of the gospel. This is not the way of the church. We're supposed to be imitators of holy ones, imitators of saints and martyrs, and we're supposed to be imitators of God. And so uh, he is uh, first telling us we need to imitate God. This is what children do, right? Children imitate their parents. They look to their parents and they'll either copy them outright and say exactly what they say or they'll walk after them and act and talk like them. Look to their parents to see, uh, right, what are they, what are they doing, uh, right? And so they, they pretend to be uh, housewives or doctors or soldiers or Indian chiefs or whatever else. And they practice this imitation to see what is my parent see me doing 
And a good child, right, will look to the face of the parent and the parent's face will tell them if they're doing good or bad, right? And this is more and more what we're trying to get our children to do, right? Is to say, I can see on my parent's face if they're happy or not happy if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And so we're supposed to be constantly looking to our parent to see, am I doing what's right? This is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be looking towards God. We do this in prayer and the reading of Holy Scripture to know, am I doing what I'm supposed to do? And we do it by walking with the Lord, right? So when we walk with Him, we're going in the same direction as Him. We're going in His path, in His ways, and we're doing it deliberately. Walking is a deliberate action. It's not a skip or a jump or a hop. It's not a jog or a run. It's step by step, heel to toe, heel to toe. It's a deliberate walking, and we're doing that hand in hand with the Lord. So we're practicing deliberately, day in and day out, this practice of walking with Him. This is once again why in Lent we're really focusing on a deliberate life of prayer, a deliberate reading of Scripture, because we are deliberately day in, day out walking with the Lord. And again, St. Paul calls this discernment. We're looking to see, are the ways of the world your ways? Uh, How am I supposed to act? Jesus, of course, does not use philosophical language. Jesus uses the language of the village of the ancient Near East. He is a, he's a villager, right? He's talking to village people. So it's very earthy language. It's very uh, real language. And he talks about seeing and blindness, right? Either you see or you don't see, right? And so he's saying, um, I am calling you to see. In order to be made able to see you have to admit your blindness right so the man born blind has to say i'm blind if he says no i'm good don't worry about everything's okay no healing right he has to admit his blindness he admits his blindness and then jesus heals him and how does he do it he does it by breaking the laws of cleanliness right he spits on the man He's not supposed to be touching a sick person in the first place, let alone putting spit on him, right? He's breaking those cleanliness laws. And so he puts his hands on the man, he spits, he puts the mud, and the man is healed. And then we get the the more theological question. They understand that all sickness is a consequence of sin, right? So they're asking, is it either... His sin or his parents' sin. It's got to be one or the other. And Jesus says neither. He breaks this idea that all suffering is due to the personal uh, actions of the person, right? He breaks this understanding and he looks at sin and suffering and, and ill health in a very different way. He says that this is an opportunity for God's will to be made known. That's a very different way of looking at the world, isn't it? Whether we're looking at our present day virus or we're looking at finances or economics or we're looking at wars or uh, whatever it is that we look at in the world. If we look at a problem or a difficulty and we say, here is uh, rather than who's to blame, here's an opportunity for God's will to be made known, for his miracles to be seen, we start to see problems very differently. We stop being Samuel grieving, wishing things could have been different, and we start to see the way Christ sees, which is here's an opportunity for God's kingdom to be made known. And so his kingdom is made known, and his gospel is spread by this man who is born blind. Uh, The thing is that not everybody's willing to hear that message, right? And the man 
who is healed here is so exact in his understanding. What does he say? He says, um, only the, um, the righteous does God listen to, right? He says, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This is why the scriptures say, go to a righteous one for prayer, right? Go to a righteous person for prayer. Why is that? Because all healing comes from God, and we want to go to somebody who's been doing that walk with their Abba, their father, right? Imitating him, walking with him, because they're listening to him and seeing as he sees, and their prayers are effective, because they're actually listening to the one from whom healing comes. So he says, If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And he says very clear, we know that God does not listen to sinners. So if we're persistent in our sin, God doesn't listen to us. Why is that? Because we're not listening to him. If we're persistent in sin, we're not listening to him. How can we expect him to listen to us? If anyone is a worshiper of God, a worshiper of God. What does that mean to worship God? That means to bow down and submit to Him. To say, Lord, everything I have is Yours. Right? When we worship God, we say, all that I have, my time, my talent, my treasure, everything belongs to You. And what? Does His will. Not says a prayer. Right? Not gets baptized. Not uh, uh, does a, a certain act of contrition. Right? Does His will. When? One time? Two times? No, in a daily walk. Who does his will in a daily walk. So worships God and does his will. God listens to him. This is who we need to be because we want our prayers to be effective, don't we? We want to be able to pray for our co-workers, to pray for our country, to pray for the world, to pray for our families, to pray for our children. We want those prayers to be effective and to be heard, right? So we need to be worshipers of God doing His will so that our prayers are effective. And He lives up to it. He's not just talk. When He meets Jesus and Jesus says, I am He, what does He do? The man born blind. Falls down on His face and worships Him. He worships Christ. Who's deserving of worship? A prophet? Nope. We don't worship prophets. Right? A priest? Nope. We don't worship priests. A king? Nope. We don't worship kings. Only God is deserving of worship. He recognizes Jesus' divinity as he bows down and worships him. And then finally, Jesus meets with the Pharisees, and they have this question over seeing and not seeing. Once again, when we enter into the season of Lent, Right? We do so for self-examination. And we enter into the season and we say, I don't see myself as clearly as I should. Right? I'm not clear about my motivations. I'm not clear about what I've done. I don't understand my own heart. I seem to do the things I don't want to do, as St. Paul says. Right? And I don't do the things I do want to do. Right? I'm blind. That's the only reason to enter into Lent and to practice almsgiving and fasting and disciplined prayer and reading of God's word. If we could see clearly, we wouldn't need any of this. The whole point is our confession to God, our humbling ourselves before God to say, I don't see the way I need to see. Cleanse me, wash me thoroughly so that I can know 
who I am and who I'm supposed to be in you so that I can clearly see your face and be an imitator. Brothers and sisters, if we say, I'm fine, I can see just fine, I know what I'm doing and why. We're on our own. We're on our own. David's a great figure. We could talk all year long about King David, right? I love to tell my children the story of David and Goliath, how brave this young man is going before this great giant and killing him with nothing but a river pebble, right? But David doesn't start there, right? His story starts with him being a shepherd of the sheep. And there were opportunities for bravery and courage, for building his confidence and competence in the fields of the shepherd. When David comes face to face with the Goliath, he says, wasn't it the Lord who helped me kill the lion and the bear? Wasn't it the Lord who preserved me then? If he would do it then, won't he do it now? See, he had been walking with the Lord. He had been holding the Lord's hand. He had been in prayer. He had been in obedience. He had been looking for the Lord's face. And he had been walking as a shepherd when he made the lion. And so when it came time to meet the bear, and it came time to meet the giant, and it came time to meet the Philistines, he said, Okay, you're with me. You've been, you've been at my hand. Day by day, we walk with the Lord and we look to His face to perceive His will, to see ourselves as He sees us, so that we can be in His rest and be His people in His pasture. And He can be our shepherd and our God and our King.